This episode is brought to you by Hulu, presenting Legacy, the true story of the L.A. Lakers. From the backboard to the front office, Legacy captures the remarkable rise and unprecedented success of one of the most iconic franchises in professional sports. Featuring new revealing interviews from players, coaches, and execs, this 10-part documentary series chronicles this extraordinary story from the inside. Watch Legacy, the true story of the L.A. Lakers now, only on Hulu. What up, what up, what up, though? Ball Hawk Show. What up, what up, what up, though? Ball Hawk Show. Yeah. If you know, you know. If you know, you know. Break layers and ball shorts. If you know, you know. One stop like a Walmart. We got the tennis balls for the wrong sport. If you know, you know. If you know about the carport, the trap door supposed to be awkward. If you know, you know. That's the reason we ball for. Circle round twice for the encore. If you know, you know. What up, what up, what up, what up, what up, what up, do? Welcome to the Ball Hawk Show podcast. I'm your host, Amon Hawkins. I appreciate you taking time out today to listen to. The latest episode of the show. Today's show, we will be recapping the Virginia Cavaliers' latest victory here at Scott Stadium versus the Liberty Flames. Before we get started, got to shout out the sponsors, Able Insurance. Call an agent now, 434-979-0814, 804-741-6305, or toll-free, 844-588-4600. 3-6. Able Insurance provides the best combination of coverage and price for auto, home, life, and business insurance. Just give them a call and they'll give you a quote. There's no obligations. Their headquarters are based in the state of Virginia, but they also deliver personal and stellar service to additional added states of Texas, Tennessee, and Arizona. Their Virginia offices are open Monday through Thursday from 9 to 5, Friday from 9 to 8. And Saturday from 9 to 12, Abra Insurance, service in the state of Virginia for over 20 years. Go to abrainsurance.net and tell them the ball hawk sent you. So let's go ahead and jump into this recap. Man, coming into the game, it was a lot of concern because of the game that's taking place this Friday versus Virginia Tech. And everybody felt like the Hoos were going to overlook a Liberty team that uh, demonstrated an offense that could put points on the board. Uh, their quarterback, Buckshot, Gandy Golden, their receiver, and everybody wanted to know how our secondary would match up versus what they do on offense and how they came so close of defeating BYU before they went into their bye week. So that was the biggest concern coming to the game. Anybody that's listened to this podcast understands that I always, I always you know, recap the stats from the games because I understand I have a following of, of fans who – Want to hear the numbers because everything is numbers driven today. So let's go ahead and pull up the stats and look at the numbers from yesterday's game. The first stat that I want to throw out, 37,329. They're like, ball hawk, what is that? That's the attendance for that noon kickoff yesterday. 37,329 fans. I want to say that's probably the lowest amount of fans who showed up. And now, granted, the basketball team was playing also at the same time. It was supposed to be some bad weather. Uh, but 
it's been a lot of it's been a lot of back and forth about what's the best time for the Wahoos to play. Initially, all season we've been playing at night. It's been night kickoffs, and people were complaining about the night games for all the folks who come from out of town. And um, I'm guessing the sweet spot probably is the 3:30 kickoff. But again, if you look at the numbers, the night game has been working the best for the Wahoos as far as attendance and TV and things like that. But I digress. Um, when you look at the game, the Wahoos won by a score of 55 to 27. We look at team stats. First downs, UVA had 25. Liberty had 20. Net yards rushing, UVA had 227 yards rushing. Yes, the Wahoos had 227 yards rushing. It's the first time since the 2018 Belk Bowl that UVA surpassed 200 yards rushing. It was the most rushing yards in a game since the 2018 opener uh, when UVA had 301 yards versus Richmond. So coming to the game, Liberty was giving up on average 193 yards rushing. So the Wahoos made sure that average remained the same or got worse for Liberty as they rushed for 227 yards. Liberty rushed for just 79 yards on 23 carries. They came into the game averaging 142 yards rushing. We go to passing yards. UVA uh, had 272 passing yards. Uh, They went over their average. Their average coming to the game was 2055. And Liberty came into the game averaging 300 yards passing even, and they generated 313 yards passing. Uh, Total offense, UVA had 499 total offense. Basically, 500 yards of total offense. Liberty had 392. This was an offense that came in averaging 443 yards of total offense. Their defense came in giving up 424 yards of total offense. So um, needless to say, the offense got it in. (laughs) The offense definitely got it in. Well-balanced, 272 yards in the air, 227 on the ground. It was a mirror of basically last year. When I pull up last year's stats, uh, UVA had 389 yards of total offense, but majority of that came on the ground. They ran for 221 yards versus Liberty last year, 227 yards. So there you go. The key was keeping the ball on the ground. Time of possession, UVA dominated in that 38 minutes to just 21 minutes. They had two quarters in which they had the ball in double digits. The first quarter, the Cavaliers had the ball basically 11 minutes, 10 minutes and 56 seconds. And then in the third quarter, they had the ball 11 minutes and two seconds. So you can only imagine. Going up against a high-power offense, uh, you have concerns about your defensive secondary. What you do offensively is very important. And Coach and nine that offense executed well. The offensive line, Coach 2J with the transformation, with, with the refocus of his offensive line, to come out in the first quarter and basically have the ball for 11 minutes. And then coming out of halftime when you receive the kick, you have the ball for basically 11 minutes. That's that's smart. That's showing a great execution piece. That's showing attention to detail. That's showing that you're balanced. And it's showing that you understand what the opposing team's strength is, is their offense. So we're going to keep your defense on the field for a long period of time. We're going to wear them out. And 
when we do score, our defense has a quick turnaround. They have a lot of toolage on the sideline as far as schematically what we can do to slow them down. And we could get a quick three and out, and then we could take advantage of a three and out or a turnover. Um, so that was a plus. Some more numbers, third down conversions. Liberty was 7 of 17. UVA was 9 of 15. Both were 1 and 2. On fourth, ga- fourth down conversions, red zone scores and chances, UVA was 8 of 8 with six touchdowns. Wahoos have been pretty, pretty phenomenal. Um, in the red zone as far as scoring touchdowns since, I want to say, the Miami game. Since the Miami game, they've definitely turned it around, so you definitely got to tip your hat. Both teams had three sacks. Um, and points off turnovers, UVA had 14. Points off of turnovers, Liberty had zero just because UVA played another clean game with no turnovers. Individual stats, Hickson for Liberty had 88 yards rushing and a touchdown to lead the way for them. P.K. Kyer Led the way with 82 yards for us on just 10 carries. That's 8.2 yards per carry. One touchdown, a long of 38. Lamar Atkins has 61 yards rushing on just nine carries. That's 6.8 yards per carry with a long of 33. Uh, Mike Hollins had eight carries for 27 yards. One touchdown, a long of 13. 3.4 yards a carry. Bryce Perkins had 13 carries for 30 yards. He had a loss of 10. That's the sacks. He averaged 2.3 yards a carry for one touchdown. Tavares Kelly had one carry for 16 yards. Billy Kemp, one carry, eight yards. And Brenton, Brennan Armstrong, two carries, three yards. As a team, we averaged five yards a carry. And that's one of the goals. We averaged more than four yards a carry. On 44 total carries, 227 yards. Uh, passing buckshot looked like the BB gun again versus these Wahoos. Um, he wasn't very efficient. 16 of 40, 283 yards, had two touchdowns. He also threw two interceptions. And the reason why I point out the interceptions, because he came in with the nation's longest drought as far as attempts without an interception. And we picked him off two, two times. Well, Devontae Cross picked him off two times. And um, that was pivotal because everybody was wondering how our secondary can slow down BB gun. I'm going to refer to him as the BB gun. And it's just tongue in cheek. It's no disrespect to the young man. I think he's a very good quarterback. But he's similar to when Daniel Jones from Duke went up against the secondary of the Cavaliers. He's Danny Dimes versus the Who's. He's Danny Nichols. He's half price. It's not the same. And the same thing for this young man, for him to come into the game with just three interceptions and the Wahoos pretty much matched that with two interceptions says a lot about what we did as a defense. And I'll break that down shortly. Gandy Golden came into the game averaging 124 yards, receiving a game, uh, was one of the best in the nation in catches and yards. We limited him to just 60 yards. He did have a ESPN Sports Center type of touchdown Reception, one hand and a quarter in the end zone. Uh, he just had six catches. So that shows the part that we did. Yarbar, CJ Yarbar had 83 yards also for the Flames. On our side, we spread it out all over the board. Terrell Jana led us in catches and yards. He had 56 yards on four catches. Billy Kemp also had four catches. Joe Reed had four catches. Uh, Billy Kemp had 42 yards. Joe Reed had... 31 yards and a touchdown. 
Um, my man Wicks had two catches, forty nine yards, and a touchdown. That freshman gonna be special. He he, you gonna? I'm gonna get into I'm gonna get into him later. Hasis Dubois, Hasis had a catch, baby. He went a whole game last previously, a couple weeks ago. But my man got on the board. I need him to get back in the end zone though, because you know I love when he get in the end zone because he big boy people. But he did have two catches for thirty one yards, and no, it wasn't a typo when you saw that Charles Snowden was in the receiving stats. Yes, Charles Snowden had one catch for 24 yards on a fake field goal. Hey, yo, man, we got to give it up to Coach B. Coach B be coming up. He be drawing stuff up in the dirt like you playing outside in the street and playing going to the Buick. His fakes are just timely, man. So salute to Coach B. Uh, And Charles Snowden demonstrating he has great body control and ball skills because the ball was thrown behind him. He basically did a 180 and plucked it with both hands in stride, tuck it high and tight. And it was it was impressive, man. Tavares Kelly had a catch. Uh, Bryce threw a good ball to him, where only Tavares could get it on an end route. It was low and away, and he went down there and dug it out. Terrell Chapman got into the groove. One catch, ten yards. Atkins um, had a catch, and the uh, touchdown engineer Tanner Cowley had one catch for seven yards. Um, shout out to Nash Griffin. He had a a dope little coffin kick that allowed our defense to pin them back. He only had two punts, but he averaged 44 yards a punt. Uh, Seneca Millage, fast, fast, fast. That's that's what his nickname is, fast, fast, fast. He returned kicks for us this game, four kicks, 130 yards, 41 yard long. He basically had a touchdown, but the punter came from behind. Um, One of our blockers who didn't block, and I'm not going to say his name, uh, but he probably catching it. The next time they meet, and it's going to be a little tongue-in-cheek session because he was the guy who didn't block the kicker was so ready to just watch Miller just outrun everybody in the stadium that the punter jumped out there and put his face in there and clipped my man up. So, But salute to Miller's man. It's just showing that schematically we're doing a great job of just getting a hat on a different jersey and driving them, and our returners doing a great job using their speed, getting up the field, and and having great vision, whether it's Joe Reed, whether it's um, TK, and now Millage. It's just, you know, it's hand-in-hand. The returners are doing what they're taught of getting it and going vertical, and then the hold-up guys are doing what they're taught, the countless repetition with special teams that go – that people – Really talk about the amount of reps it takes to have your special teams truly be special. Like that word special, you got to be a special individual to really take special teams seriously. You got to be a special individual to teach special teams because there's so many moving parts. You don't have your prototypical body makeup that you can look for. It's all about finding guys to have that want to and want to execute it. And you don't have a lot of reps of it, of it or opportunities for it to take place in the game, you know, offensive defense, you could get up to 50 plays so you could get into a groove. But special teams, whether you're a field goal kicker, you don't get that many shots to really make a kick. So you got to be flawless. When it comes to returning kicks, you don't have that many shots of really getting a hat on the body and driving and that returner. These days, every kicker is kicking it out the end zone. So when you had the opportunity to really feel the kick, to get out of it. I will say our last phase that I want to see us truly become special was a punt return unit of just allowing Billy Kemp to have some space and demonstrate his uh, dynamic running ability that we've been seeing with him as far as when he's been uh, receiving the football. 
He's been doing a hell of a job with his decision-making, fair catching, guys getting into his, his, his area. It's not, it's not easy catching the punt. You got to have a special makeup to catch punts, sudden quickness, fearlessness, ability to track the football way up in the air. It's like playing, the, playing center field. You got guys bearing down at you, ready to punch you in the mouth and destroy you because it's not even a halo rule anymore. So it takes a lot of, lot of physical attributes, mental makeup, and a lot of heart to be a punt returner. So that's why I want to see our guys do a better job with holding up. And you got to give kudos to a lot of these punters at the way that they can um, just sky kick punts and just take away and negate the return. So let me get off that. Defensively, Let's look at these numbers, and then we can get into the analytical part. Um, Heskin Smith, letters and tackles. He had eight tackles. He also had two pass breakups. I thought the young man played well. I thought he played really well. You're asking a guy that was was a receiver when he got here, switched positions, um, was fighting for the starting spot, didn't win the starting spot, got injured, lost a lot of on-field time. So when he came back from injury, just getting his timing down, his his feet down, what he's seeing, the speed of the game down. I thought he responded well um, in his first game as a starter, especially versus uh, NFL talent and Gandy Golden. Noah Taylor had five tackles. Aaron Famui had five tackles, one and a half tackle, one and a half sacks, and two and a half tackles for a loss. Jordan Mack had a half a sack and five tackles. Uh, Joey Blunt, four tackles, one tackle for a loss. Zeus had four tackles and a big hit. Donnell Pratt, two tackles. The book of Eli, two tackles, half a sack, half a tackle for a loss. Nick Jackson had a half a sack, half a tackle for a loss to go with two tackles. Joseph White, two tackles. Nick Grant, one tackle. Uh, T.C. Harrison, one tackle. Mandy Alonzo, one tackle, one tackle for a loss. Charles Snowden had a breakup. Devontae Cross didn't register a tackle, but he had two interceptions and a breakup. And Matt Gam should have had an interception, but he dropped. He dropped it, so he got a PBU, and that was probably the easiest attempt at an interception he had all year, even though he did make an athletic play of, you know, anticipating the throw and, and elevating. But we've seen his hands. You know, he got a pick versus pit, so don't want to harp on it too long of him dropping that interception. So let's get into the analytical part. What we want to start off first with? What you want to start off first with? Offense, defense. Let's start with the offense. The offense, the score over 50 points, man, that's kudos. Offense been on his been been on one uh, since the Louisville game. I know Duke. We didn't give him a lot of credit credit for scoring over thirty points because of the short field and how the defense generated a lot of turnovers. But look at what they did versus North Carolina. You looked at what they did versus Georgia Tech. Coming off the bye week, the concern was could they keep that going? And they demonstrated they could. They demonstrated they could. They um, were efficient. They scored 10 points in the first quarter, 14 in the second, 14 in the third, and they scored 17 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, Here's a a unit that has been under a lot of scrutiny, starting starting with the offensive coordinator, Robert Anai. A lot of of concern with Robert Anai coming to this game was, uh, will he show too much to tip his hat versus Virginia Tech and Bud Foster? And I felt like he he was vanilla in some instances where we reverted back to having guys running in the same area on the same level and to put Bryce in a, in a bit of a pickle. But I thought Bryce's decision-making was top-notch, throwing the ball away, just tucking it and getting down, not trying to make 
um, lemonade out of lemons. And uh, so that's a testament to Bryce. It's a testament also to, to the offensive line because they gave Bryce a lot of time, a lot of time for him to check from the first option to the second option to the third option and move around the pocket even more. Um, and Bryce's decision-making, I thought, was um, on the safer side as well because I thought he could have t- tucked and ran. But we all know we're all human. And we all understand that everybody wanted to make sure there was no significant injury coming out of this Liberty game. So I'm pretty sure it was in Bryce's mind to not do anything dumb because we understood that the goal was right in our face Friday on Black Friday. So um, as far as the receivers, the receivers continue to perform. The receivers continue to run very crisp routes. Um, They demonstrate their ability to make tough catches. They demonstrate the ability to recognize coverage on the fly. Um, I love the way Terrell Jenner works the seam area from the slot, from playing playing pickaboo with the seam defender when he goes behind their back and he may take a step inside and then he works right back down the seam. So when the seam defender kind of peeks over their shoulder to the middle of the field, to see if the ball is coming, he's already back outside. And not only that, but he works and, and makes himself available and he shows his numbers and makes an easy throw for Bryce. Um, I love that we're getting the Munskins involved, you know, Billy Kemp, uh, TK, just understanding that those guys are diminutive, but if you get them the ball quickly, nobody wants to tackle them. Their sudden quickness and speed um, is something that is very difficult for a linebacker to try to uh, negate uh, putting Billy Kemp in the backfield and allowing him to run choice routes, angle routes is hell to pay for a linebacker because yeah, you could just say, well, we 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 think he's not getting the ball as a runner. We demonstrated we will hand the ball off to him. And quiet is kept. He made a tough run to help us have a, a short down a distance to go. I mean, after contact. He was still churning and getting up the field. He's he's a strong runner for his size. And, you know, I take pride in that because I was a diminutive receiver. And, you know, a lot of people just feel like when they get their hands on it, it's going to bring you down. But that low center of gravity gives us an advantage of always falling forward. And with that double-sided tape, you're not going to jersey tackle us. You're not going to be able to just grab our jerseys and sling us down. You're going to have to really grab us. And since we're so low, you're going to have to exert a lot of energy to tackle a smaller receiver. So, I like the different packages that Coach and I showed, but let's go ahead and jump right to that elephant in the room, the running backs. The running backs got busy. We got what we wanted, UVA fans. The running backs got to eat, man. They got to eat, and then they got to get to the end zone. I know I sound real country. They got to they got to do this. They got to do that, but it's my show. I talk how I want to talk, and you know I have fun. The running backs got to eat, man. It was fun to see. I challenged the offensive line to take the next step, step and reach the nastiness threshold. And when I tell you, y'all know I don't like to really call out linemen and name drop because they're young student athletes. But as much hell as people gave our offensive line, let me tell you something, man. Rank is mine. Hey, yo, Dylan, you was nasty this game. I'm going to single you out because it was plenty of times you were trying to put their soul in the earth. You will get on top of a defensive lineman and you were trying to put their whole soul in the earth like we playing Mortal Kombat. I mean, he was trying to drive them through the Bermuda. 
grass that's laid down. I hope we do use Bermuda, Bermuda as a way because we don't. They're going to kick my tail. The ground screw going to kick my tail when they see me. But you were trying to put them in the dirt. Glazier, Oluwatemi, Ryan Nelson, Bobby Haskins, you guys was trying to, y'all was, y'all was getting nasty. Every lineman that played, you was getting nasty. Joe, you, you picked somebody else up and not yourself. You was getting nasty too. Swoboda and your 6'10 self, I saw you trying to bend at the knees. Now, if you take somebody to the ground, you're going to have to hawk whole leg dropping because it's going to be a long way down. You take somebody to the turf and put their soul in, in the earth. But shout out to the offensive lineman. Shout out to Coach 2J, man. I know the work that you guys put in, and I definitely want to give you guys your roses while, while we are here because I thought you guys did a phenomenal job of just not passing up a different jersey, latching on, and really playing until the end of the whistle. Kudos to you guys. It's not just the numbers that make me want to give you guys kudos, but just watching you guys on film, I saw a different sense of urgency from you guys. I mean, I've been seeing a ramp up, ramp up of intensity since the challenge was laid out about you guys, you know, allowing Bryce to get hit too much. So definitely kudos to you guys. I don't care who the opponent is. You did what you're supposed to do. You got nasty. And I love it. I love it. Y'all got nasty. But kudos to the backs, man, for having the appropriate vision, running hard, especially after contact. Hollins, it was great seeing you, uh, the trust factor improving, seeing you get carries, and seeing the dynamic ability that you have, the sudden quickness, the jump stops, the quick burst. Uh, Tuala Papa didn't play this game. Load management, man. It was load management. And um, he'll be ready to play Friday. Speaking of load management, that's why you've been seeing Joe returning kickoffs. You know, just keep him safe. We, we got guys that could get the job done, and we understand what's waiting on Black Friday. So kudos to the coaching staff for having every man step up. It's not just the next man up. It's every man step up. Uh, so offensively, yeah, man, salute to y'all. So on the defensive side, the focus was the secondary. What are we going to do in the secondary, Ballhawk? Are we getting anybody back? What's going on? Oh, my God. Hold on right quick. Laptop was about to go dead. But back to what I was saying, it was all eyes on the secondary. And it's warranted because, you know, you, you play a team like Georgia Tech, you give up. A long touchdown. We understood what North Carolina stood for. But then we, we saw on paper what Liberty can do. You know, stats can be misleading or stats can be legit. What I saw with them on film that gave me cause to pause was this scheme. The scheme was similar to UNC. They like to isolate uh, certain parts of the field. They put a lot of stress on you. Could we stop their running game with just a base personnel and have more guys in coverage? And, you know, talking to Coach Nick Howell, just, you know, knowing his concerns and knowing what to look for on film, I had an idea how he would attack them. Of course, I can't provide what he told me or what we talked about because that's just the friendship that we have, and I don't like to put that on front street. But it was good to see, um, once the game started, the concerns that he had and how he would attack Liberty would play out. You know, one thing about, Coach Nick Howell and Coach Papinga and all the defensive coaches is that they put a lot of time in 
to try to reach their pillars, you know, the 24-point threshold of holding teams to 24 points or less and committing so many turnovers and, you know, the the the, the field position and, and winning that. Just understanding that as well as we played in spots, I thought we played very well in the first half. I understood that Liberty would get some well, they would score some points. You know, they 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 hit us on a deep throw up the sideline. We were trying to check out of a short zone. And um, I don't think Heskin got the call because if you look at it on the field, Devontae runs down to number two and how Heskin re- responded to the number two receiver doing a quick arrow route. Um, it had me thinking they were in like a cover two and then they checked out of it. So a blown a blown coverage or, you know, not getting the communicated check allowed that long throw. Then when you look at the second touchdown, that looked like they just literally hit the call. You know, sometimes in chess or checkers, somebody's going to make a move and you're like, oh, I, I didn't even see that. And that's what happened there. So you tip your hat to the second touchdown. I mean, that, they just hit the call. They they went trips tight to the backside. We brought Heskin over. Um, he's looking for work for number three. And I think he was more in the short zone area versus just being responsible for the first crosser, no matter deep or short, and he kind of sat short. Devontae Cross went over to number two, and he went so wide that once the number three receiver went on the, on the skinny post, um, it was too deep for Haskins to defend, and Devontae was too far out of position. So I think they just hit the call because um, any ordinary time, it, you could just tell Haskins, hey, take the first crosser. It's, it was similar to what I used to see in arena football when they would go trips on a short field and you'd be like, you just check what we call three or green and you just tell that backside corner, take the first crosser no matter what. The safety would just uh, respond off of what three does. If three goes right now, eyes go right to number two. And if three comes across the face, then you go to number one. So um, they just hit the call. But overall, you know, I was I was anxious to see how Heskins would do because I understand that the, the feet that he has, you know, working with him this summer with with Nino and also Bryce and also Chris Moore, and I I, kn- I know their weaknesses and their strengths, and also Kerry, who who's out um, for the rest of the season. Um, the one thing about Heskins, he has very good feet, very good good feet, very good sudden quickness out of his breaks. The one thing about him is he can overthink some things and not allow his body to just take over. And why, when I say allow your body to take over, it's, it's muscle memory. Through repetition, through film study, your body will generate your instinct. So we always see people play, you know, his instinctively this happened or his instincts allow him to do this. It's just repetition, man. It's just you're repping how to backpedal, how to plant versus a certain cut, how to backpedal, how to weave on a certain stem. And his his body will mimic what he does through repetition. And I'm talking about Haskins. And just seeing him in the game, initially the game was just going so fast that he was guessing he wasn't allowing his body to just build that instinctive mode. So as the game went on, his instinctive mode kicked in. It's like the matrix. It started it starts slowing down. So when you saw him make a play on Gandy Golden on the uh, dig route or the quick end route and he broke it up or on the 50-50 throw on the sideline, I mean, that's that's not easy plays to have breakups on versus a 6'4", 220-pound corner, and you're 5'9", respectively. 
It's not easy plays that he made. Like the, even starting out the game, he made some great instinctive plays. But then they started switching up what they were doing. So they started attacking him a little differently as far as how they stemmed him, how they would change speed in their routes. So his feet would want to take over, but mentally he would start guessing. So he would start giving up some throws that he would get discouraged about because he knew that he can put a stop to. It's different. It's like it's like when you look at Nino, when you look at Nick Grant. Early in the season to now, he has a lot of his instinctive mode kicks in quicker and Nino can start to really pick up on routes. He could pick up on reduce uh, alignments and understanding what number two is doing. So this is what my receiver is going to do. And Heskins is going to start to identify that. That's one thing that Cross couldn't really do when he moved to corner because his instinctive mode was safety. So you saw when he moved back to safety. Now, granted. The first interception was just a bad throw, a dumb throw. He's still there because instinctively he knew to get to the middle of the goalpost based off the formations. And then the second one, Heskins did a great job of taking away the inside and playing the backside hip. Um, Buck, <laughs> Buckshot, I want to call him BB gun, but I think that's disrespectful. So Buckshot was trying to throw a 50-50 ball because he thought the receiver was going to go inside. And Devontae knew that as well, and he came and got a nice pick. So Devontae's instinctive mode kicks in at safety. And when I tell you, man, he 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 impresses me playing safety, man. I really like that kid playing D safety. I think he could definitely be special. He's a jack of all trades. And it's his birthday weekend, so salute to him. What a birthday present to get back to your baby, your, your spot that you most comfortable in, deep safety, and have two interceptions. It's phenomenal for him, man. So I'm happy for that young man. And my man Juan Thornhill was in the building, and I usually called him the next Juan Thornhill because Juan was a kid who's who was a true safety, but had cover ability and got moved to corner and showed you he could be locked down Allen. So defensively, man, I thought we did well. Everybody was concerned about the secondary, so everybody has to just sit back and be like, okay, let's stop being cautiousville and understand that these coaches can – Make sure these players are prepared and that these players can execute. My main thing, a lot of times when I talk to fans, I always say athletes are wired differently than folks who are fans and detached from the competitive edge. Like, I'm still a competitor, and since I'm so attached to the program, being around the players and working out with them or talking to the coaches, that my mindset is different. So I don't have the same questions that a lot of fans do. So a lot of fans may be thinking I'm disrespectful when I tell them, Stop being scary or stop being so cautious. That's just the competitive competitive edge in me to say, hey, what about telling them to be cautious about Bryce Perkins or for them to be cautious about our receivers or for them to be cautious about how nasty our offensive line is playing now or them to be cautious about our defensive group and how we can wreak havoc and how our defensive line can run stunts and hit the quarterback and how our linebackers can cover. Noah Taylor and Charles Snowden, let me say something to y'all too. Y'all do a hell of a job of rerouting receivers in a slot. And y'all do a hell of a job of when Nick, Coach Nick Howell asked you guys to play, or more Noah, playing a joker role of when it was guys removed and in the backfield, instead of lining up on the outside, you guys are lining up in the tackle box. Like you playing the safety and dropping as the extra deep third guy in the middle of the field. That's showing a lot of athleticism and range and just coaching. 
to have those big bodies, six five and six seven linebackers respectively, playing in space. Do you understand how tough that is for them guys to flip their hips, reroute, and get to the ball or understand their drops? I saw a lot of times that Liberty wanted to just run 10-yard stop routes or five-yard hitch routes. And our linebackers understanding down the distance formations, tight formations, uh, reduced splits, and understanding the interception point and running underneath it to where the quarterback couldn't even throw it. Because I told you guys, if I'm worried about a receiver, I'm not going to double team them. I'm going to send a stunt to the area that that receiver is going to be at. And I would rather drop somebody underneath that receiver just to take the quarterback's vision away from that receiver. A lot of times, teams want to double-team a receiver and remove a safety, and you start exposing other guys, and you take away from the integrity of your defense. I always feel like the best thing you could do to maintain the integrity of your defense is to use line stunts and gap blitzes to discourage the quarterback from going to a certain area. And we did that. We would shift over in our normal 3-4 package. And, and notice, we played a 3-4 versus their offense. And we did a good job of defeating six blockers with five a lot of times. Kudos to the defensive front, man, the Silverbacks. Kudos to the defense as well. Kudos to the coaching staff. Black Friday is here. Petty Hawk is retired. No Petty Hawk this week. Sorry for the people who are uh, fans of Petty Hawk, but last year I got a little too carried away and almost messed up the platform that I worked so hard to create. So um, you won't see me on Twitter engaging in trash talk. You'll see me on on Twitter, you know, sharing um, my product, sharing UVA's football product and also my inspirational quotes. But you won't see me engaging in any trash talk because I realized with the platform that I have – my football mode, which is Petty Hawk, isn't something that I want to have on display. So, you know the motto, man. Good is the enemy of great. Be great in everything that you do, man. Wahoo, wah. Fans, please come out if you can, 12 o'clock noon, and show out these young men have bust their hump to attain this goal that they set 10 months ago, man. It's a lot of excitement. We're playing for the Coastal. Virginia Tech's playing very well. Uh, Bud Foster will be his last regular season game. In this rivalry, they're going to be play going to be playing passionately, and our players feed off your energy. Just thirty seven thousand folks here at this game. We appreciate all the thirty seven thousand that came out. Appreciate everybody that's a supporter. Um, I know a lot of folks give each other a hard time for not being there. Everybody has lives, but if you are available, come out to the Scott Black Friday. It's for the cup. Beat Tech, win the coastal. These were two of the goals crafted 10 months ago by this team for this year. Before a weight was moved and winter workouts, before the early sunrise of summer conditioning, before the grind of training camp, and before the first kickoff of the season. And now these two goals can be accomplished in one game. One game that is different. Different because it means more on our streets, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, and across our commonwealth. Different because the colors you wear are orange and blue. Different because of these guys and this team. Different because it's for the cup. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.